in Luke chapter 9. And I was going to try to teach Matthew 16, 13 through 20 today, that whole big package, or passage there. But uh, as I started studying that, I decided to break it into a couple of messages because there is so much material um, in Matthew 16, 13 through 20. The first part of it is the same study that we're going to look at today. Uh, you can find that in Mark 8, 27 through 30, and also Luke 9, 18 through 21, which is where we're going to be this morning. And we'll probably reference the other accounts, the other gospel accounts of that. But before we, we get into our study or start talking about our passage of Scripture, um, I'd like to ask if you all would be in prayer for um, Don and Vicki Taylor, um, and then also for Kate. Um, Don and Vicki's daughter passed away unexpectedly yesterday, um, 40 years old. So they, they headed out of town back up to Washington. Uh, to uh, She was 40 years old. She has two children. Um, they both have lots of needs. They're younger children, but not... I think the this, how old is the are the children? Well, Vicky's got she was born with chronic disorders, so there's a lot a lot of people hurting right now, and and they could use a lot of prayer. So if you would please keep them in your prayers, and also it's so nice to have Barbara with us today. She hasn't felt well enough the past few weeks, but we have her today. So sorry to embarrass you, Barbara, but I'm so happy that you're here and in your chair today. Um, so if you would, keep Barbara in your prayers as well, too. Um, all right, to our text today, uh, the, the question as we're looking at this, I would like for you to keep in mind is, who is he? And when I say, who is he, I'm talking about, who is Jesus? And I'd imagine things are popping into your mind right now, who is Jesus? But seriously, think in your mind, who is Jesus? What do you know about Jesus um, what have you heard about Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's a question that many people have. You'll find lots of, lots of different books with lots of different opinions as who Jesus is. Uh, it's a question that if you reject God's word, if you reject the, the teaching of God's word as to who Jesus is, you're going to have a very difficult time answering that question. Uh, you can come to different opinions, but if you're not basing who Jesus is on the Bible, who knows where your opinions are going to be, or who knows what thoughts you're going to have about Jesus. Now, this is a question that people might think that they have the answer to. If you went around and polled people, who is Jesus? Just walked around town. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? People would think that they have an answer to that. They would probably be able to spout out something like, oh, he was a teacher. He was a miracle worker. He was this, he was that. You'd be able to find an opinion. It would be scattered, but you'd be able to find this opinion that people have of Jesus. It's a question that is clearly answered in our text today. It's a question, I believe, with eternal ramification. I believe it's one of the most, maybe the most important question that you'll ever come face to face with is, who is Jesus? It's a question that the Gospels clearly and precisely answer. Which, as I said, you can go to the library and find all kinds of books about Jesus. Which may or may not be true, but really you need to look no further than the Gospels to find out who Jesus is. John chapter 20, verse 31 says, But these are written, that ye might believe that Jesus 
is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Clear answer. Who is Jesus? He is the Christ, the Son of God. And there's a lot more to that that we'll look at today. In our text today, Jesus asks the question, Who do you say that I am? To the disciples. And then Peter is going to clearly answer that question. His answer is, you are the Christ of God. Meaning, you are the Messiah. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record this account of Peter's confession, is what a lot of people have called it. This morning, I would like to focus on Luke's account. We talked about that a little bit already. But this, as we go into this, though, I don't want you to think that this is the only time that Luke records the identity of who Jesus is. You can find it over and over and over. But here, we have one of the disciples, one of the apostles, clearly and plainly declaring Christ to be the Messiah. Luke chapter 1. Let's, let's run through Luke really quickly. We're already there. Luke chapter 1. And it seems so fitting as we get into the time of, time of the year when we focus on the birth of Christ and Christ coming to earth um, that we, we see these passages and we consider this thought of who is Jesus. Luke 1, 31 through 33, the angel Gabriel declares, And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord of God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There shall be no end. Go down a little further in Luke 1 verses 68. Uh, we'll go 68 all the way through 79. We have Zacharias here. Blessed, well, verse 67, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we might, or that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people, by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, thereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Verses 25 through 32. 
And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Go down to verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Then go to Luke chapter 3. This is the last one we'll look at before we get to our text today. Luke 3. Verses 15 through 18. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable, and many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. So you see John recognizing that Christ is going to be greater than him, that John was not the Messiah. And we could keep going through Luke, we could keep going through the Gospels, we could spend hours reading verses looking to the fact of who Jesus is. I just want us to see that as we consider this question today, who is Jesus? The Gospels are clear that Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, the Son of God. And then let's look at our text together, Luke 9, 18 through 22. And just a few short verses in our study this morning. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, saying, whom say the people that I am? They answering said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, the Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you so much for this time. Thank you that we can come together. Uh, thank you that we can worship you together. Thank you that, that we can look at your word and we can study your word together. I pray that you would please just work in our lives. I pray that you will help us to have clear sight of who you are, of, of who your son is of the work that you have done, of, of the finished redemption, the, the finished work that was done on Calvary, 
You died and you rose again. And you have given life. You offer life. I pray that we will see Jesus as, as the Redeemer, as the Savior, as Lord, as the Messiah. That he'll be so much more to us than just someone that we go to when we have a problem. Or someone who can meet our needs or, or someone who is a miracle worker or a teacher, but that we will recognize that Jesus is the answer, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I pray that we will worship you and we will praise you for your workings and for your wonderful gift of salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This event that, that we're looking at here today takes place in Caesarea Philippi. And you can find that location in Matthew 16, 13, and Mark 8, 27 also give record that this is where that happens. And I just want to kind of give you a quick understanding of, of where they're at here. Uh, Caesarea Philippi was located north of the Sea of Galilee on the slopes of Mount Hermon. So we have this, this place up on the, the hill of Mount Hermon, like a thousand feet above, above the, the sea there. It's, there's a pretty interesting history to this place. This place, And I won't give you all the history today, I'll just give you a, a chunk of it. It was originally named Panin, after the god Pan. It was eventually renamed by Herod's son Philip the Tetrarch. It was named Caesarea uh, in honor of Caesar. And of course he tacked his name on there. So Caesarea Philippi is where this place is. That's kind of the history of it. We could talk about this this false god pan we could do all that but i don't want to because we have the true god we have the true messiah that is in this place or near this place and the disciples are going to give testimony that he is truly the christ but where they're at is caesarea philippi um it's here that we find jesus praying verse 18 and it came to pass as he was alone praying so we have Jesus praying by himself here, but if you notice, the disciples are really close to him because it says he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. So he's praying alone. He's having some alone time with the Father, but the disciples are close by because he has some questions to ask them. I just, I, multiple times in the Gospels, we find Jesus spending this time with his Father, this this time in communication with his father, this close, alone, personal time with his father. And what a, what a wonderful thing, what, what a wonderful thought. Uh, how wonderful for the disciples to be able to see from a distance or know what was going on, that, that Jesus, God in the flesh, the Messiah among us, was speaking with his heavenly father, with, with God the Father. And, and we have this, I don't remember how many times in Luke, but we see this over and over, Jesus praying, spending time with his Father. His disciples are close by, we saw that, and Jesus has a couple of questions for his disciples. And I want you to think about this before we jump right into the questions that he asks. The disciples have been with Jesus in close communion, uh, close contact, daily, for around two years, maybe two and a half years at this point. Close fellowship, walking around with Jesus. They had just been on that Gentile journey where it was the disciples and Jesus. So they have been with him. They would have seen his miracles. They would have seen his teachings. They would have seen what Jesus was doing. They would have closely known him. They would have seen the overwhelming evidence that testified 
to who he truly was. They also would have heard the people talking about Jesus. And for me, this would have, this would have been kind of interesting. Where you're with Jesus, you're following Jesus. Some people think you're crazy. Some people hate Jesus. They, most of the people don't believe who he actually is. But you're close with Jesus. You see him doing stuff, but you also hear the crowds talking about him. So you could hear people saying awful stuff about Jesus, someone that you loved, someone that, that you had been following very closely for two years. I'd imagine some of those things hurt and it brought up questions in their mind. But also they would have been able to, to get this general census of who the people thought Jesus was. Remember they passed out the food to the thousands? So they would have been handing out this food, walking through the crowds, and they would have got to hear people having these private, or what they thought were private conversations about Jesus and what was going on. Jesus would have known their conversations. Jesus would have known who they thought that he was. But the disciples walking around would have heard this. I mean, you ever been loyal to, to someone, and you hear someone talking about them, and your ears kind of perk up a little bit, like, what are they, what are they going to say here? So we have the disciples who would have had this knowledge of what the people thought that Jesus was. They would have had a good idea what, what the mind of the people was here. And Jesus comes at them with this question. It's a question that Jesus already knew the answer to. And verse 18, the end of verse 18, we see the question, Whom say the people that I am? The people, speaking of the multitudes here, but Jesus asked the disciples, who, who do the people say that I am? And for me, it was interesting. Why would Jesus ask his disciples this when he already knew the answer? But his disciples would then have to think about it. Uh, the gospel writers would then record for us what the, what the multitudes thought. Uh, we know when Jesus worked, he was working on purpose. He was asking questions intentionally to his disciples here. So the crowds would have seen Jesus' power. The crowds knew there was something special about Jesus. They knew something was going on. And Jesus is asking his disciples here, who do the people think that I am? Who do they say that I am? What kind of responses have you heard people give when they talk about who they think that I am? Verse 19, they answering said, John the Baptist but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. And you can see the disciples here talking with Jesus. Well, we've, we've heard multiple theories about what people think you are or who you are. And uh, some people have said that you're John the Baptist. Herod Antipas thought he was John the Baptist risen from the dead. You can read about that, Matthew 14, 1 and 2. We know Jesus was not John the Baptist here. John the Baptist said, I'm not worthy to unbuckle his shoes here. He, he's not John the Baptist. Some thought that he was Elijah. Some thought that he was one of the old prophets. Come back to life. They could have looked back at the old prophets and thought maybe Jesus is one of them. You can see that they knew Jesus was special. Their claim to him wasn't that he was just, or their identification of him wasn't that he was just some man. So, some normal man named Jesus, uh, they recognized there was something different. There was something special. He had a power. 
He had a way of, of working and teaching and operating. But they were missing who he was. The correct answer was, he is the son of man. This was a messianic title. He is the son of the most high. And I'm taking these titles from the gospels if you're wondering where I'm getting these from. He is the son of God. He is the holy one of God. He is the Lord. He is the savior. He is the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That is who Jesus is. The crowds that were with him that saw him work would not give him that credit, would not give him that identification. The crowd was not willing to identify him or to believe who he truly was. What they were hoping for, what they were hoping would happen was they were hoping he would be the king to give them freedom from Rome and to bring blessings and prominence to them. And we saw that in one of our earlier studies when he fed the 5,000. They wanted to raise him up and make him king right there because he could meet their temporal needs. That's what they wanted from him. They wanted this freedom from Rome. And they were looking at Jesus as that. But Jesus is so much more than a political deliverer. The crowds wouldn't acknowledge his true identity, but they would still follow him for a while. We have the crowds not identifying who Christ is, but they continue to follow him. And we still see these crowds coming and, and going before him and being with him. We find them eventually rejecting him and hatefully calling for his life in just a few months from here. But at this point, they weren't openly rejecting him and calling for his life. I mean, the, the Pharisees at this point wanted to trip Jesus up. They hated him. They were looking for ways to kill him. But the general masses, the crowds, were still giving Christ false identities and they were still willing to listen and follow him around. They had ample evidence for who Jesus was. They rejected him. The light was right in front of them, yet they refused to believe. And I want you to look at John chapter 12. And if you don't want to turn there, that's fine. I'll, I'll read it to you. But I want us to look at verses 34 and 36, thinking about they had the light right in front of them, but they refused to believe. John 12, 24, or sorry, 34 through 36. The people answered him, we have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus said unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. You have Jesus warning the people, believe in the light, the light is right in front of you. Believe while there's still light, believe while you still can, and then Jesus leaves them. We see that Jesus, the light, was right in front of them, and they refused to believe. So we see how the, how the disciples respond to what the people said about Jesus. They give these answers. Then verse 20, He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? So Jesus turns to the disciples. 
he asks them, who do you say that I am? You know what the people says about me. Well, you personally, my closest followers, who do you say that I am? And Peter pipes up. And he answers. And he says, the Christ of God. Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ of God. It wasn't well, uh, we, we think you might be this, or, or we think you might be that, or you've done all these things, and, and here's what we've come to reason. It was, boom. Peter says, we believe that you are the Christ of God. He was clear and he was precise. And, and that title, what comes along with that, is you are God's anointed one. You are the anointed one that God himself chose to be prophet, priest, and king. God's chosen, anointed Messiah and his beloved Son. Jesus is God, Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is Savior, and Jesus is King. Peter has the right answer. He nails it. You are the Christ of God. The response of Jesus isn't recorded here as, Good job, you're absolutely right. You know who I am. I'm so proud of you guys. Now let's go tell the world about this. Because did Jesus' response to the right answer of Peter here make anybody think for a second? Look what Jesus says. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing. So Jesus doesn't say, okay, you know who I am. Go tell everybody. He actually gives a complete opposite to that. He would tell them to tell the world in a little while. But for now, he says, keep it, keep it quiet here. Don't tell anybody this right now. Don't tell anybody I'm the Messiah. And, and the, Greek, the Greek wording there is strong, a strong, stern command. Because could you imagine the, the disciples here being able to publicly tell Christ, or publicly with Christ, tell Christ who he is. They give this confession of, of who Christ is. Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are God's chosen anointed one. And then Jesus says, okay, keep that quiet. I would imagine they would want to be like, well, let's, we can tell everybody now. It's, it's the truth. That's who you are. And Jesus says, keep that quiet. Don't, don't tell the people yet. And I can picture them, wait, what, what's going on here, Jesus? Verse 22, Jesus is going to reveal some more to them. He tells them, don't tell the people this. Then he says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. So he says, Here's what's going to happen. You're right. I'm the Messiah. I'm the anointed one from God. I am the Savior of the world. But he says, Here, here's what's coming. I'm going to be accused. I'm going to be hung on a cross. I'm going to be murdered. I'm going to be buried. But I'm going to rise again from the dead. My purpose here is not to simply be a healer and provider. And that's what the people were looking for. And we're going to see when they find out that Jesus talks about being lifted up, we looked at that passage in John, they're going to have a problem with that. 
They're going to reject that part of him. But part of Jesus' earthly ministry was to be killed, to be murdered, to hang on the cross, to pay for the sins of the world and to raise again. And the crowds, the masses are going to have a hard time with that. And Jesus was not here to simply free the people from the Romans. He wasn't here simply to offer political freedom. He is the Savior. He was the Savior. And he's going to give his life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of of God in him. Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, the King of Kings, came to this earth and he is going to be, well, he was murdered, put on trial, killed. He who was innocent, he who was perfect, shed his blood, became the propitiation, that satisfactory payment to cover our sins. He would be buried and he would raise again, defeating death, defeating hell, offering spiritual life, not just this physical life that people were looking for. And, and we see the gospel, we see the gospel in the name of Jesus. We see the gospel in Him as Messiah, as Redeemer, as Lord, as Son of Man, as Son of God. And we have these people here looking for Jesus to be something that He was not. And as long as He wasn't, or as long as He, as he was what they didn't want Him to be, they were not going to believe Him and receive Him. So we have this problem. We have this sinful people who needs spiritual life, who needs forgiveness. They have the answer. They have the light right in front of them but there's rejection. And they reject the Messiah because he's not the king that they're looking for. We see that attitude back then. We can, we can see it today. Humanity's greatest need is not to be healed. Humanity, humanity's greatest need is not for political deliverance. Humanity's greatest need is not for a teacher, a new teacher to come teach them stuff. Humanity's greatest need is not a financial provider or a miracle worker. Humanity's greatest need is who Jesus actually is. And he is God. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And you have people every single day searching in books and literature trying to find out more about and trying to find a God of their imaginations that will, that will make them happy. Or that will, that will meet their needs. And the problem is, is that that God of their imaginations is not going to meet their spiritual needs. Or even their, their temporal needs. They're still going to be searching for more. We have Jesus revealed himself. And we see him clearly in scriptures as the savior, the solution for our sin problem. But to tell people you have a sin problem is not a popular message. And it can end conversations very quickly. Hey, buddy, you got a sin problem that you can't fix. But Jesus is the answer and the only answer to that sin problem. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. 
Jesus is the Savior, the Lord, the Redeemer. And this message is clearly stated in Scripture. We have this message that is rejected by many. And as, as we're sitting here today, and there's so much, I mean, we can spend the rest of our lives going through the gospel, looking at, at who Jesus is and what he came to do. And we can look all through the New Testament and, and see the, the covering for sin, the justification that he, that he paid for. We could see all that. But what I want us to do is this morning, think about Jesus. Who is Jesus? What is your view of Jesus? What view do you have of him? God, I like the way my life's going. Everything is perfect. Everything is great. I love you right now. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for taking care of me. But when life gets rough and your attitude is based on God as, as solely a provider for what you think he should give you, what does your view of God then turn into? God, where are you? God, what's happening? God, this, God, that. Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the provider? What's your view of God? What's your view of Jesus as Messiah, as Savior, as Lord? It is so important. Because he is the only solution to our spiritual problems. And we can't make ourselves better. We can't make our right, ourselves right before God. We need Jesus for that. And he came and he gave his life. And the gospel clearly paints this picture of being able to receive something that we do not deserve. And that's the gift of salvation from Christ. What's your, what's your view of Jesus? Is it that or is it give me, give me, give me? A God who's made inside of one box. That's not who Jesus is. He's not to just be rubbed or, or asked for those three wishes when, when you have a problem. He is God all the time. He is Lord all the time. And our view of him should not shift by what's going on. And when the people did not like who Jesus was, they turned on him. Who is Jesus to you? Do you believe he's the Christ? Do you believe that he is the Son of God? The Chosen One? the prophet, the priest, the king. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you that uh, you have clearly revealed who, who Jesus is. I thank you for who Jesus is. Thank you for the gift that you have given, for the love that you have showed, for the grace, for the mercy, for the compassion that you've had on people who are so unworthy, yet you love us and you made the price, you paid the price, you made, the, you made it possible, you made the transaction that we can be right before you, that we can have a relationship with you, I just thank you that you love us and that you're faithful. Please open our eyes to see your greatness. I pray that you will help us to glorify you and to, to bring praise to you. Please, please work in our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen.